Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Welcome to another segment of Where East Meets West, a special collaboration between Epilog and America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Dr. Jenna, and it always gives me a great delight to see how we can bridge these fascinating cultures, the East and the West. You know, I think there's so much here when we look at the richness of what these two dynamics actually bring to the world. Where East Meets West brings some of the most prolific, profound minds to inspire us, educate us, and elevate us. Today, I have an extremely exciting guest, someone that I've been kind of following, not like I'm a stalker or anything, (laughs) but, you know, I get inspired when I intuitively sense a driven person. It doesn't matter. I was in a meeting the other day, and we were talking about this network that is about to become the next big thing. And as I was on the phone with the investors and the people, the individual who created the call with me was telling me all about this person. I says, I don't care about how much they have. Tell me what drives them. That's what I want to know. That's who our next guest is. Naveen Jain is an intensely curious entrepreneur who was not afraid to take on the audacious ideas that will push humanity forward. He's the author of the award-winning book, Moonshots, Creating a World of Abundance, His current moonshot adventures are Viome and Moon Express. As a serial entrepreneur, he previously founded Infospace, Intilius, and TalentWise. Naveen is the vice chairman of the board of Singularity University, where he focuses on educating and inspiring leaders to utilize innovative techniques to address humanity's greatest challenges. But he's also on the board of the XPRIZE Foundation, an organization that uses incentivized prized competition to push the limits of what's possible, to change the world for the better. Naveen has been the recipient of many honors for his entrepreneurial success. These include Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernest & Young, Most Creative Person by Fast Company, Top 20 Entrepreneurs and Lifetime Achievement Award, for the Leadership of Red Herring, Medal of Honor by Ellis Island. It goes on. Some of us might get the bios or the profile of some of our guests, and this doesn't even say half of what who and what Naveen Jane is. Big, big welcome to our special guest on Where East Meets West, the incomparable Naveen Jane. Om Shanti and welcome. Sir Jana, this is what an honor and a pleasure to be speaking with you. The work you do is truly moves the humanity forward. So we are humbled and honored to be in your presence. Sweet of you to say, I have to tell you, it's been a blessing. And 
My life wasn't always on the end of giving. I'm grateful, Naveen. You're no less because I know you're a big giver too with so many things. This show is about some of the achievements, but also the life and the journey of many Indians who come to America and have changed the world. Do you remember what it was like when you first came over to America? Do you remember what was in your suitcase, what was in your pocket? Sister Jana, this is just really interesting because my story is no different than any other first immigrant who lands up in this country. We really have very little to speak of. The suitcase that we talk about is hardly a suitcase, if you call them a suitcase. We came to America with $5 in my pocket and barely spoke the language. And, you know, God has been amazingly kind to us. And with that kindness, we all feel that you are simply a trustee of his kindness. And unless you do the work as a great trustee of him, then it takes away what he gave you. And sometimes he leaves enough behind to remind you you still have a chance to redeem yourself. And if you do that, so when people say they give, actually they rarely give because when you are giving, you are actually taking a tremendous amount of joy and a pleasure. And in fact, when you give and make humanity better, in turn, what you receive is so much more. So I would argue that people who give most are, in fact, the most selfish people because they drive so much more from it than they actually give out. Because the blessing of a person who is on the other end, who simply looks in your eyes and simply says, God bless you. And you never know when that blessing is all you really need in your life. As we yes. go through these journeys, I mean, we will learn that at the end of the day, we are connected to humanity. That is so powerful of you to say that, because I'll tell you this, it's in the giving that we're actually receiving. Yes. And it's a big blessing, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, so fortunate yeah. to be on the, this end of the world where you are able to give than to be on the other side of the world where you have to receive. Indeed. Now, I was told that when you were a young boy in India, and please tell us what part of India you were born, that you used to just look up in the skies and used to say there's got to be more to it than this. Tell us a little bit about your childhood. To me, growing up was we were poor. We didn't have to be poor. The only reason we were poor was because my dad refused to take bribe. And he was in a government job where he was responsible to build the buildings and the road. And most people would at that time use half sand and half cement, save the money for contractor. Contractor would give them a bribe and they would take a piece of it and then give the rest of them to his boss. His boss will take his piece, goes to his boss and everybody in the food chain got served. And my dad was a supervisor and the overseer. And if he didn't take the bribe, no one else would got the bribe. And guess what happens? In government, you never get fired. You get transferred. So every six, nine months, his boss will say, that son of a bitch needs to go because we are getting no money here. And he refuses to ever. He says, this building needs to be built to the actual code and not going to have a building that going to collapse and someone is going to die on this building. And so we moved from village to village to village every six or nine months. So really didn't have a place we called home. We never owned a home. We never stayed. And most of our education was done in the remotest of villages where there were no school. We sit down on the dirt and we would write on the dirt. Some elderly gentlemen will come and start teaching you. An amazing thing happened. My sister, the oldest sister, went on to become a postdoctorate in applied mathematics. And my brother has a PhD in statistics. Like, 
and I was the least educated person in my family, ended up becoming an engineer and an MBA, came to this country with nothing. But to some extent, when you're looking up, I always felt that when you look up in the sky, you actually democratize the humanity. There's no person. It doesn't matter you are the richest person in the world or you are the poorest person in the world. When you look up in the sky, you look at the same moon, you look at the same stars, you look at exactly the same thing. There is no difference. And it allows you to start to believe you can be anything you want because you're surrounded by the people who don't care what you do on this planet Earth. We are insignificant in their world. Do you think there's another civilization up there? Absolutely, 100%. There is no reason. It is statistically impossible for us to believe there is no other civilization. Because if you look at the planet Earth, our planet Earth is invisible, a tiny dot in our own solar system. Our solar system couldn't be seen in our galaxy. Our galaxy is sitting on the side where it is absolutely invisible in this universe. And our universe may be such a tiny dot in this multiverse. So statistically, it is impossible for us to believe we are the only one in that actually have this life and civilization. Why haven't we found anyone yet? Actually, other way around, if you imagine that humanity advanced in the last several hundred years, 500,000 years, we have significantly advanced. And our planet is only three and a half, four billion years old. Now, imagine if life started on some other planet, even a million years before we did on planet Earth, they'll be so far advanced, they probably look at us just like we look at ants. We look at the ants moving. You don't say, well, hey, ant, how are you feeling today? How are you doing? My point is they look at us such insignificance that these people walk. They move from one place to another place. They don't de-atomize themselves and appear somewhere else. What are this? This is not even a civilization. To them, we are an ancient amoeba <laughs> just kind of floating around here. When I think about the space and I think about the galaxy and I think about the vastness of the universe, and I have a meditation image that I use of three levels of consciousness. You've got the world of karma. Then you have this world of light where people have near-death experiences. And then you have the realm where the energy of the divine of God resides. Have you ever thought that the energy of God is like beyond the universe? I mean, have you ever thought like there's another energy that's sending out massive signals from up above? I think I really feel that we are the part of God. I mean, at the end of the day, we are the energy. So even though we look like a human body, which looks like a solid object, we know it is made of atoms. We know the atoms are made of electrons and protons. We know electrons and protons are made of quarks. And at the end of the day, these are just the energy waves. Our human brain looks at this table as solid table, looks at the human body as actually have a shape. But the fact is, it is just the floating energy and we are all connected to each other. In fact, the God himself is this energy. We have a one single universal consciousness that connects and you and I are simply a manifestation of that consciousness, right? So when people say the God is within us, 
we are in fact made of God and we are the God larger sense. We all connected to that energy, the same energy and look at going beyond as humans. You look at these microbes, the microbes in our body are in fact are also living things. They're also energy. And sometimes I feel when we say the soul inside us and that never dies, are we talking about these microbes that are in our gut and they simply transform from one body to another body and they just simply live on? Is that what the soul meant? You know, life begins in the gut. And in fact, if you look at Brahma, when it talks about Brahma actually coming out of navel, which is really where the gut is, and it says, is the really life begins there? Is the life really consist of the things that are invisible, these microorganisms? Is this really we are as a superorganism together? And we as superorganisms, the God really is a superorganism of all the energy, all the human that we call collective consciousness is what I would call God spoken like a true scientist. So look, and this is a really important question for me to you, Naveen Bhai. The fact that you and I know that there is an element of God's energy living in all of us and that we are all souls and soul is an energy so it never dies and it's never created, it just exists. The last few years we have seen a global division in many countries, in many families. What are your thoughts that's actually not connecting us together as a more unified force, children of God. Because in America, they talk about division. It could be media promoting as well. But, you know, there's just so much anger between people, a lack of trust between people. And yet we are all children of God. What do you think has happened that has created this separation or this division? I think partly it is the mindset. The mindset of scarcity is what creates conflict. So when we believe something is scarce, something is finite, we fight over it because we think if someone else has it, we can't have it. And once you change that mindset from scarcity to abundance, suddenly we stop fighting over it, right? And people somehow would say the human beings are so greedy, it doesn't matter how much we have, we will always want more and more and we want to hold it. Until you remind them that look at air, we can be actually so generous that 60,000 of us could watch a football game or a cricket game and never slap the person next to us and say, you just took a deep breath. That was my air you were breathing. We don't. And why is that? Because we absolutely inherently believe air is in abundance. Oxygen is in abundance. We can all have enough of it. And you never see anyone fighting over it. But we fight over land. We fight over water. We fight over energy. And why do we do that? It's because we somehow believe they are scarce until you look up and you realize all these places we could live where is the scarcity of land where is the scarcity of water this universe is full of water where is the scarcity of energy every 90 minutes more solar energy falls on our planet than we use in a whole year it's a matter of conversion it will happen and when that happens energy will become the next air. And when energy is free, you can have a fresh, clean water. You can desalinize it. You can distill the water, the dirtiest water, and you will have abundance of water. So to me, these conflicts only come because we have this created this mindset from the time we are born that things around us are finite and they're scarce and they have value. Because once you start to say, I don't need it, it devalues itself, right? So to me, it has no value because I don't even want to have it. Wow, that's very powerful. 
But when we look at the world, Naveen Bhai, there are cultures that have created a system that makes it really difficult for certain people to have enough. So I believe that there is a mindset that we believe in. If you think poor, then you will generate poor results. If you think abundant, then you'll generate abundant results, right? So there are still systems that have been designed that do hold back other people, that makes it really hard for people. And those people have to work a hundred times harder to get by. How do you speak to that when really there are a billion people today who are going to bed without proper drinking water? How do we help? What can we do, Naveen Bhai, to move the world towards a consciousness that we all have enough? So first of all, I think, as Sister Jenna, you pointed out, that largely it is in our own mind, the intent that we set out to the universe fulfills itself. So when your brain keeps thinking that, you know, the world around me is cruel, and guess what? The universe is hearing, oh, he wants the world to be cruel. Let's show him the group of people who are just cruel. So you're going to find now you're surrounded yourself around cruel people. When you say the world is full of kindness, guess what? You surround yourself with all the people who are kind. I mean, you are a living example. The people around you, they cannot even have a bit of arrogance other than simple kindness because you exude kindness and you only receive kindness in return. And that becomes really the thing. So now, obviously, when you are in the middle of a crisis, you're in the middle of uh, the epicenter of the hurricane. In fact, you feel the world around you is completely chaotic, right? Until you realize that once you get out of this eye of the storm, everything becomes completely calm. So when storm passes through, behind it is nothing but calmness that comes right back. And the way I always find, at least to me, has been is that no accepted and expected. So when you expect and you accept that things are going to be ups and downs, right? So the only way you and I know we are alive is because we have a heartbeat. And what does a heartbeat look like? Goes up and down and up and down. When it's smooth, you're dead. So why would you ever want to live a life that's a smooth life? You're looking for a life of a dead person. So what I find is I know when I am down in that heartbeat, all I have to do is hunker down and tell the universe, I am ready. I expect it and I accept it what's happening here. And I'm going to hunker down because I know the next beat is going to be right up. And when you're on top of the beat, never, ever get too arrogant because you know the winter is coming and winter will come, right? So if you always believe when the times are tough, you say, this is my test to show I believe in the faith and I believe that I am alive. And part of my being alive is knowing that next bit is going to be up. You're such an inspiration because you just answered my question that I was going to point out that you are a successful business person, entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur. And a lot of times people only see what you have. They don't see what you've been through to get to where you are. My whole thing in life is teach me that tenacity, teach me those virtues, those values. What would you say was your biggest core value that has been pushing you to keep succeeding? I think to me, if you're going to do something in life and dedicate 10, 20 years of your life to doing something, you have to believe it is going to move the needle. 
So every time I start a project, I have this framework that I use, why this, why now, why me? Why this is, God forbid, I'm actually successful in solving the problem that I'm about to be doing. Would it help a billion people live a better life? And that tells you this is a big enough problem that if you could solve, it will move the needle for the humanity. And why now is the time right now? And the timing right now means what had changed in the last couple of years and what do you expect to happen in the next three to five years that allows you to solve this problem today than it was possible before. So COVID happened. The world is different. And the opportunities that are available to you are never been there before, right? So the world has completely changed. And when people say COVID is the black mark on humanity, and I think as you and I will agree, looking forward decade from now, we're going to look back at this and saying this advanced humanity by a decade or more. And we're going to look at this pivotal moment where many of the things that we wanted to change got changed. People believe that they have a control of their own health. People believe they are able to, in fact, create a world where we are all connected. It's no longer I live in America and I don't care what's happening in China. I don't care what's happening in India. Guess what? We realize what's happening in China, what's happening in India, affects us. Right? And that interconnectedness, the idea that we are no longer isolated is completely changed. So to me, if you look at this pandemic, we're going to see the signs of humanity coming together in the future because of what happened. This is the mission that you've got, the mission of your business, Wyoming. and it's to make illness optional. And you've built an artificial intelligence-driven platform which helps to develop precision nutrition to prevent and reverse chronic diseases. This is huge. Can you tell us about that? The idea is that fundamentally believe there is no reason that we as humans should suffer from a chronic disease. And when I say chronic disease, I mean obesity, diabetes, heart diseases, cancer, depression, anxiety, dementia, Parkinson's, any type of autoimmune diseases, there is nothing that says that we have to have them. In fact, what's interesting to me was your DNA, your genes are not your destiny. In fact, your genes never change when you become depressed. You can do your DNA test before you're depressed, after your DNA is still the same. Your DNA never changes when you have a heart disease. What's interesting to me was that it is a lifestyle. So these are the choices we make. So when people say, oh my God, it's bad luck that you got cancer. I'm sorry, no, you made bad choices. That's how you got cancer. You got heart disease because you made bad choices, not because you had a bad luck. And to me, the food is the medicine. What we realized was that people think, oh my God, this artificial intelligence and what are these guys are so advanced. Now they're telling us you can eat the right food and somehow the disease will go away. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. This is not me. This is something we knew 5,000 years ago in Ayurveda. And even 2,500 years ago, when Hippocrates said, all diseases begin in the gut. Let food be thy medicine. Let thy medicine be the food. Right? We knew this. This is not a rocket science. What is a rocket science is to understand what food is good for you and what food is bad for you. There is no such thing as universal healthy food. Remember, one man's food is another man's poison. And when we did the analysis of my own gut and my body, it turned out it says don't eat spinach. If spinach contains a lot of oxalate, my gut microbiome was not able to digest the oxalic acid. 
in turn, it would have caused inflammation and a kidney stone. So even though Popeye told us that spinach is good for everyone, well, Popeye was not the scientist. We don't listen to Popeye. He told me not to eat broccoli, not to eat cabbage, because it was had a lot of sulfate, and the sulfide in my gut was causing inflammation. But how do you know what foods not to eat? Is there a test that you can take? Yeah, so basically, it's a test we develop, and it, it's a touch of a stool. We analyze all the activities. What is your gut micro producing? Few drops of your blood, we are able to see what human genes are being expressed. And then we look at everything and saying, you know, this is causing inflammation. Don't eat this protein. Don't eat this. And by the way, these are your superfoods you should eat. Here are your foods to avoid. And here is why. We don't just simply say, don't do that. We say, here is what we saw happening. And this is the reason we tell you not to eat. But guess what happened? It's not for life, Sister Jenna. As you adapt your body, your body changes and your gut microbes changes. So food that were good for you may no longer be good for you again. And, and the food that were bad for you, you can start eating. And that, to me, is the dynamic system, the ecosystem. We are a living, breathing ecosystem in ourselves, inside a larger ecosystem that we live in. So we essentially have to take care of the ecosystem outside us and the ecosystem inside us. Beautiful. So how does one get that spoon to take the test? So this is a Wyom, V as in Victor, I-O-M-E.com. So you go to Wyom.com and you can sign up and we send you the at-home things and you literally get your answers back on your smartphone on our website. You're able to see exactly what is happening. What is your immune health? What's your biological age? What is your cellular health? What is your gut health? What's happening inside your gut? Here are the foods you should eat and why. Here are the foods you should avoid and why. And by the way, here are the nutrients that are missing in your body in these dosages. And you can get them anywhere else. So we can make them custom make, tailor made those nutrients just for you. Beautiful. What's the difference between the Viomi kit and the 23andMe kit? So 23andMe simply looks at your DNA. As I mentioned, the DNA never changes. So by looking at your DNA, you can never say, are you moving towards become diabetic or are you moving towards having a heart disease? Because it's constant. And what we do, Sister Jenna, is we look at gene expression, not your genes because your genes are constant, but how you express them is constantly changing through the environment we live in. So the air we breathe, the nature we spend time in, the foods we eat changes us. It doesn't change our DNA, but changes our gene expressions, right? So it's not the thoughts that matter. It is the thoughts that are acted on that matters. Hmm. Let's go into what we call sunkalp or the thought yeah. factor, because there's a lot of information out there that you are what you think and yeah. you do become what you believe. Some of us are conscious, conscious of a certain amount of thoughts, right? Yeah. But you and I know that there's 90% of deep-rooted sunkalp that are really driving our lives, like what we would call the subconscious, that deep-rooted unconscious vibration that's in our personality that's really driving everything. How do you balance these two? Because there is what you know that's logical, and that's the Naveen Jane, and, and this is what I want to do, and this is who I am. But then there's another part of you that's recorded so deep in you that you've been carrying for birth after birth. How do you marry the two? 
But I'm going to do a slightly a tangent here and just to give you an idea about what we see in science today. So a lot of the things we talk about, the subconscious nature of what's happening. In fact, it turns out many of the things were actually driven by 39 trillion microbes that are in our gut. And let me just tell you, so our gut is connected to our brain through a vagus nerve. And now we find that even the addiction for the things we have is controlled by them. So the scientists who took about seven people who had addiction to alcohol and they simply changed their microbiome through fecal transplant and suddenly their addiction to alcohol went away. And now we can see your depression and your anxiety is controlled by what's happening in your gut. So one could argue that a lot of the things that are happening in our brain are driven by what's happening in our gut. And gut could be the microbes, which are 39 trillion. By the way, 99% of all the genes that are expressed in our body don't come from our mom and dad. They are the microbes, 99%. So one would argue they are the puppet masters, and we are simply the puppet who follows their direction. In fact, they control our sleeping pattern, our circadian rhythm. They control what's happening in our body outside and inside. They change our gene expression because of the things that they release that is absorbed in our body. But coming back to answer your question specifically, your subconscious mind is really driven through the pattern. So essentially, early in the childhood or when you are born, a lot of these things are pre-programmed epigenetically for you. And many of the things actually we as humans Kind people, in fact, if you look at a baby, baby is full of curiosity. Baby is full of kindness and love. It is over time we actually program that baby to move away from being curious. Don't touch that. Don't break that. You're going to break it. And we take all the curiosity away. We take away all the wonderness of the beauty of the nature. A child looks at a red color and is fascinated by the color. And as we grow, we can walk past the most beautiful garden and we don't even notice it because we lost the wandering of the child, the curiosity of the world, what it can be. A child who wants to take everything apart and wants to put it back as a parent, don't touch it, it's too expensive. <laughs> don't do that. And so to me, I think if we can bring the child back in us, we can create a world of possibilities. So to me, the day you stop becoming curious, the day you lose your curiosity, is the day you actually die after that you're living a life of a zombie or a dead person. No more that line for us, right? Wow. Thank you. This has been so fantastic. And because you're such a rapid fire person anyway, I'm going to take you through a little simple test, what I call my spiritual rapid fire moment. Are you ready? I'm ready. So I'm going to give you two words, and I just want you to share the first word that comes to the top of your mind, okay? Okay. All right. Tea or coffee? Tea. You sure? Okay, sky or earth? Always take the sky, even though sky doesn't exist. Sky is a figment of our imagination. And the reason I pick a sky is because it allows us to think there is a limit, even though there is no limit. Got you. Ocean or a park? I would take ocean because it's so deep and variety inside it and it's full of life. I'm with you on that one for sure. God or religion? God. Book or a movie? Book. Water or soda? Water. Laugh or smile? I would smile. <laughs> Thank you so much, Naveen Jane. You have been a delight and you have taught us so much 
on our episode. And I think this will be definitely one of our reoccurring great, great shows to keep learning more about ourselves. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sister Jenna. You're so kind. And I look forward to our next episode. Same here. Definitely. Everyone, I am sure you have taken so much from Naveen Jain. And please find out more about Viomi, which I'm actually going to go online and on my kit right now so I can find out what I need to stop eating. I was actually thinking when Naveen was sharing, yeah, I've noticed I'm not that crazy for chocolate anymore. <laughs> I'm just realizing there's something in my system that's changing. So listen, I'm sure someone out there has learned something. I know that I have. So please let us know what that was. Send us a direct message or comment or subscribe or tell us whatever is going on inside of you as a result of our conversation. Thanks again for joining us for another fantastic episode of Where East Meets West, collaboration of Epilog and America Meditating Radio. You take care of yourself. Be cool. Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in and do be easy on yourself. Take care.